Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, your weekly source for questions and answers around equity in yoga, hosted by Jeevana Heyman and Amber Carnes. Join us each week for powerful conversations with thought leaders at the intersection of justice, knowledge, and practice. Welcome to episode 20. I'm your host, Amber Carnes. In this episode, Jeevana and I sit to talk about chair yoga and how it can be used as a tool to democratize asana practice. We begin with a conversation about how lineage and guru culture are shifting as abuse is being revealed. We also talk about the way that dominant culture conflates health and wellness as a basis for a human being's worth and value. We each share about the ways that this belief keeps folks from understanding the potential of chair yoga and creates more ableism in our yoga spaces. This conversation also talks in depth about how chair yoga can be used to serve folks in diverse bodies who have different needs from the physical practice. Hope you find this conversation helpful. Here we go. Hey, Jeevana. How's it going? Hi, Amber. How are you? I'm good. It's good to hear your voice. You too. I know. It feels like it's been a long time, probably a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We talk all the time. Sometimes we just record, so all of you get to listen to it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's always uh, so, nice to talk to you, though. I know. How are you? <laughs> Um, no, I'm doing good. You know, um, it's great to be back for another podcast. I've been really enjoying them. I, I love listening to the um, episodes that you do without me. <laughs> it's fun. I just <laughs> the one this morning. So, yeah, I mean, I love this podcast stuff. I love talking yeah. and teaching. <laughs> me too. <laughs> me too, yeah. So, um, I know today we want to talk about chair yoga, but we're not going to start talking out about I start out talking about chair yoga, um, but we were chatting before we got on to record about sort of where, I don't know, yoga culture is right now. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I've been, I've been thinking in. about it. Um, you know, I think here on the podcast, we've spoken about how we need to move away from this fixation on um, asana, especially physically advanced poses as the goal of yoga. I mean, that's still that's still happening. You know, you kind of see a lot of I still see, I should say, a lot of posts on Instagram with these kind of extreme poses as if that's what yoga is all about. Right. And then the other theme, you know, I think the last few years we've seen really a takedown of so many gurus and kind of uh, it feels like really the end of that traditional guru culture at least in the west and i i feel like we're it's kind of like where where is yoga it's like where where do we go between those two what i think of as two kind of extremes um do you know what i mean I do. Yeah. It's like on the one hand, there's this intense, uh, you know, the focus of yoga on asana or extreme physical practice. And the other side is this like that guru culture you talked about. And because of all the um, the abuse scandals within lineages that have come out, like I think that's what you mean by like the guru is getting taken down that, you know, I think um there's been this tendency, I've actually been thinking about this a lot too, and the notion of lineage. I don't know if we've even talked about this yet, um, but I was gonna write something about it that, uh, you know, I've often felt that there's this sort of uh, special, magical something that's conferred onto people who can like be part of a lineage or trace back to their guru or whatever. And I never, you know, that wasn't my yoga education. I really felt like 
um, every time I would go try to study with a senior teacher or someone who was, you know, really respected in a lineage or something like that, I would notice that oftentimes these teachers who were so like lauded by, you know, yoga land actually didn't know that much about teaching to diverse bodies and definitely weren't even creating an environment or a workshop or whatever, where I could even participate in some of the things. And, you know, I'm like, non-disabled and pretty strong and stuff like that. And so I, I sort of felt like separate from, you know, being able to like be part of lineage or whatever. And I was thinking about it the other day because, you know, I feel like I still have a lineage, right? Like you're in that lineage. All the, all of my students are the people in the accessible yoga community, like the people in I don't know, the tradition of fat liberation, like are part of my, you know, and so um, I don't know, I've been interested in this idea of like if guru culture, you know, basically just mimics the systems of oppression that are in dominant culture and that has then echoed like the oppressive dynamics that create those abuse situations and um, uh, in cycles, then, you know, what actually is a more yogic way of, of looking at things like lineage and, and honoring our teachers and all of that kind of stuff. I don't know yeah. this isn't, maybe this is a bit of a ramble, but it's definitely been something I've been thinking about. No, I love that. I, I love those questions. I, I mean, I really, um, think about those things a lot and I've been writing about it too, actually for my book. Um, you know, I do, I do come from a traditional lineage and I have yeah. a guru. Um, Swami Satchidananda, but you know, I feel I have I have mixed feelings about it. I feel grateful. Mm-hmm. I mean, incredibly grateful to him for what I've learned, but also I feel a little bit jaded, or I don't know what the what's the word like. My eyes have been opened a bit to like what you ex- you said just now about how that system also reflects. Um, kind of a white supremacist i would say patriarchal culture where it seems like yeah it seems like but it but it's hard it's a hard one and i i think this is a topic maybe this is a whole podcast in itself i know right (laughs) i would just say you know there's there's a lot of value in the guru lineages and in being a disciple i think that's just such an essential part of this tradition of yoga but what I'm always looking at is what, how could we keep the good part of it and get rid of the bad part? And is that possible? And something I think there's, there's some thinking these days about how, um, the community can become the guru. I think Theo Wildcroft has a new book. I haven't read her book, but, um, talks about that, you know, post-lineage yoga idea. And I I feel like that's, that's kind of where I go with it too. Like Mm -hmm. what you just said about how you have, you have a tradition Actually, Theo also makes me think of Matthew Remsky, who also mentioned something to me about that once about how he, he was interviewing me and he said something about how my experience in ACT UP, which was my AIDS activism background, probably taught me as much as my yoga tradition did. And, it, and in a way, it's true. Like, I, yeah. I think that um, the guru is more than just that one person. And so maybe we could hold that. We, we can keep the guru tradition, the essence of it, without having it be focused on one man or even sometimes it's a woman, but usually it's a man. Um, you know, and, and I think that's really the challenge for contemporary practitioners is to figure out that the nuanced approach to really valuing a tradition and also being respectful to the tradition and, yeah. and the way that yoga has been passed down, um, you know, 
through these incredible teachers. I mean, some of them have been incredible, but also totally. some of them have just been incredibly abusive. <laughs> yep. <know>? yep. Horrible. <laughs> And, you know, I, like many of the teachers who uh, who are the gurus who have fallen, like had amazing contributions to this practice. But the, you know, the power dynamics, I think, are the things that we tend to notice maybe in a different way. And I know that we both address through the way that we teach and train other teachers that, you know, I think the the danger of that sort of like putting one person up on a pedestal is like if we're if we're talking about yoga philosophy, you know, we are not, uh, we don't, ha- we don't lack anything that that person is, you know, holding some secret knowledge that they have to bestow on us, you know, um, at least the way I understand yoga philosophy. Um, and so I think that, you know, there is this really radical, um, but also essential to the, the teaching like way of being in relationship with our students that can be, you know, the ways that that we talk about teaching in a collaborative and co-creative way um, that honors like the fullness of everybody's humanity and not sort of this, well, I'm up here, you know, the sage on the pillow and I have this secret knowledge that you have to come to me for. Um, I think the best teachers, you know, ask questions and guide and like hold space for us to do our own practice. Um, I don't know, I think we're- Yeah. Well, I think that's important. Just what you just said that, that the best teachers are the, the ones who ask questions and and also encourage people to find themselves rather than to follow. And I think that that's really the main issue, I guess, is to you know for all of us to look at our to look at our teachers and really ask that question. Is like what are they what are they asking of us? Um, and is it are they leading me? You know, is my teacher leading me towards freedom and independence? Or are they leading me to just continue to follow them and to be somehow dependent on them? And I think right. that's really the, the problem um, with a lot of the abuse that's happened is this dependency um, that's been cultivated. And that could even be a dependency on, like, come back to class next week, come back to class, rather than, you know, be free. And I think as, a, as teachers, our goal should be that the student becomes free of us. They don't need us any longer at some point, you know, that they even surpass us. Yeah, uh, that's that's my goal for my students is that they are free and they, you know, are basically go on and, and enjoy their life without me. You know what I mean? Not that they need to come back to me, uh, which is I think a lot of what happens in, in yoga is like we get stuck with people. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, do you want to talk about chair yoga? <laughs> I know. How do you make that segue? Well, well, here's the segue. We want to talk about chair yoga. <laughs> okay. Well, I have one way. I have one uh, way. Tell me. Segue. Yeah. And that is that I, I just want to maybe talk for a minute about, um, you know, maybe the, the parallels between that kind of celebrity yoga culture and the guru culture. Like, I think what I, mm. I, I mentioned, I started by saying there's these two extremes, you know, that we see right now. We see the kind of focus on extreme um, asana. And also then you have the guru culture and that neither one is really, I think, the whole story. But in a way, those two extremes are actually maybe similar uh, in that uh, some some yoga celebrity teachers have become the guru yeah. and are the guide and we want to be like them we want their attention we want to, to yeah to follow them and and that maybe that's also been misleading because that's made us that's trained us to think that the fancy asanas that they're doing 
that that's the goal. Um, and so I think we need to move away from that. And I think one way, personally for me, it, one way is chair yoga. I mean, it sounds kind of sim- simple, like a simple answer, but like chair yoga to me is such a great example of where yoga celebrities don't go. <laughs> you know I mean? That's like, so true. Yeah. <laughs> Except for you. You're my yoga celebrity. Uh-huh. <laughs> you do chair yoga. <laughs> D-list, D-list. But uh, D-list. yeah, I think, I think you're right. Like this emphasis on um, basically, I think the way that diet culture and sort of like beauty standards have laid themselves on top of um, the commerce driven side of yoga or like how, you know, capitalism and Lululemon and all the things have had an effect on yoga in the West is that these uh, the influencers or whoever tend to be, you know, someone who also looks like a celebrity in non-yoga space. You know, they're folks that look like fashion models or movie stars or whatever. And that emphasis on physical prowess and also having like a thin young body with expensive clothes shot in a, you know, it's always someone doing a scorpion handstand on a mountaintop in Bali, not like I'm in sweatpants doing warrior two at the YMCA, you know, like (laughs) I think these are good things to notice, like where, you know, this is the same hierarchy. I think that gets, um, that we see in every in every phase of our lives where mm-hmm. you know with this this uh, like image is held up for people to say like this is what you should be striving for or attaining when a very small percentage of us you know can probably look like that or maybe do those things and so i think it implies a lot of things about what the practice is supposed to be about what we're yeah. supposed to be able to do and well, yeah, and funny. I think the, the chair is seen as less than, you know, props are seen as less yeah. than. Um, I, I was just going to say, it's funny you mentioned Lululemon because I just did a chair yoga class for Lululemon. Oh, snap. <laughs> See, things are shifting. <laughs> Change is but, possible. But it was such a, it, I mean, I really appreciated them hosting me and, and yeah. it was on their Instagram page. I think it's still there if people want to watch. It was a short class, but um it was just so funny to see the reaction to their community because, like, they obviously they have a lot of people who just are interested in clothes, and so like half the comments were like, "What, what was I wearing?" and like, "Why? Oh, and can I buy such and such a thing still? Why did you stop selling this thing and that thing?" And it was just like cracking me up. I was like, "Wow, this is really just about clothes, um, you know, not so much about yoga." So that that kind of <laughs> that kind of made me laugh. But um, like I said, I, I I do think yeah, you're right. Things are changing. Um, so yeah, but but I feel like chair yoga to me um, just kind of yeah like makes it accessible and more than that I feel like it kind of what's the word like democratizes the practice like makes it a practice for real people you know yeah levels the playing field a little bit <laughs> yeah you know? I think that's what I love about chair yoga the most is just that the, the fact that it's like. You don't have to get on the mat. You don't have to get down on the floor. You know, most people are comfortable sitting in a chair. Not everyone, but most people. And I feel like that we can reach a huge audience and show that yoga can be, that yoga is not about the body, actually, and that it can be done by almost anyone. Actually, any yoga can be done by anyone, but chair yoga can be done by almost anyone. I don't want to say, I know there's some people who aren't comfortable sitting in chairs. Right. But I would say, um, and going back to what you said, that the practice is about something else. And not about those fancy poses. So what is it about, Amber? What is yoga about? (laughs) 
Well, I think yoga is about, uh, you know, remembering who we really are and learning that we're not our body, like you said, or our bank account or our relationships or our degree or whatever. And, you know, remembering that um, we have everything we need. And I don't know. It's some of that. <laughs> non-attachment maybe that's the biggest part of the practice for me is like realizing where those attachments are and and working on that most of my yoga practice is off the mat i mean asana is amazing and it brought me home to my body it's a wonderful tool for inquiry i think it's it's so cool uh to have and to use but it's it's just one part of it at least for me yeah yeah i agree i think um to me it's a spiritual practice, you know, and what does that mean to me? Like, I, I'm always wondering, like, what what is spirit? And and I, I'm I'm mostly interested, I think, in that question about the relationship between spirit and the body mind, and like, what you know, it's not that the body and mind aren't an aspect of spirit, but in the yoga tradition, it's really like you have this really a dichotomy. You have the the body mind as nature part of nature and then you have spirit as it's like essential self that's like never changing it's always there that kind of constant and i i'm really interested in that kind of like what what stays the same and what changes that's like really what i focus on a lot in my practice and how do we see how do we see clearly between those two things like that Mm. i love the concept of viveka do you know I, i probably talked about it before here but that clear clear vision or discernment um, and be able to see that difference. What is changing and what's not changing mm-hmm. in myself and the world? Um, that, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it's beautifully um, said. Yeah, and I, I feel like... Um, I, going back to chair yoga, I feel like you can you can reach that, you can connect to that part of yourself that's unchanging just as well in a chair as you can on a mat. You know what I mean? Like there's actually no difference uh, at all between the potential that exists for you to have that connection with yourself if you're practicing in a chair versus practicing on a mat and i feel like that base that that's like the basic message that i want to share with people and i feel like it seems so obvious but i really don't i don't know if we believe it you know what i mean like i really feel like there's a, a lot of value judgment in the way people practice it's not just that we emphasize extreme asana but i think we really have mistaken um the body as the goal or something like you know what I mean like we feel like there's some kind of even health as a goal yep. I think is actually I mean health is great but it's not the goal of yoga right I mean not traditionally speaking I think it's a side effect yeah um, I think the goal of yoga is this kind of deeper realization connecting with your, your truth and that's available for anyone regardless of their health or, or lack of health and regardless of their ability to get on the floor or not um, you know and like I always say we're all gonna go there eventually I mean we're all gonna die so it's like why I don't know why I don't know why we're in this it's like we we're what's the word like we're our we're our own worst enemy is that the word like it, that the expression like you know what i mean like we're, we're creating a, a situation that we can't succeed at yeah. you know what i mean i do yeah 
Say more about like, what do you like, mean we can't succeed at? Like, if like the goal we're going to fail, like, like yeah. we set up a system of yoga that you're going to fail at eventually because your body is going to, at some point, either get sick or just get old and then die. So like mm-hmm. you, you, you cannot succeed at being like perfectly healthy forever. Like it's just not possible. <laughs> so yeah. Or attain the perfect body. You know, like that's another, I think, concept that's held up. That's like literally impossible to get because the body always is changing, you know? That's the body. That's the nature of the body. So I feel like it's basically, we're we're like in denial about the reality of our human existence here, which is that it's limited. And I don't think our potential is limited, but I do think the, the body itself is limited. And yeah, you might Right. You'll never reach perfect health, whatever that is. Like, what is that? Yeah. Oh, so annoying. And, um, <laughs> and, and then, but we judge illness or disability, aging and death as bad. And because they're, they're like somehow against this kind of healthism. Is that yeah. the word you, you use that word? I think I learned I it think from so. You. Yeah. I mean, I think health is definitely held up uh, in our culture as a barometer of worth, just like productivity is a barometer of worth, just like beauty, just like youth. Um, and I think that, I mean, that's ableism, right? <laughs> and that's we don't, it. and our health, you know, it, like our body is something that is guaranteed to change. And also that is not guaranteed to us. Like our health is not guaranteed to us, even if we do all the quote unquote right things, you know, we might yeah. still get sick. We still are definitely going to get older. Um, so, you know, we so, don't, so, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so, so how do you approach it then? Like, so I think it's not about, it's not like, um, it's not black and white. Like it's not that the body doesn't matter and that the body should be ignored because it'll never be perfect, but we have to find the right relationship. Like there is a right relationship there and within the yoga teachings. And I feel like that's never really expressed. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, you know, you know I, I do. I think so. I mean, I think that to me, you know, when I think about the yoga teachings and what yoga philosophy says about, you know, our nature as, as human beings or our humanity, our interconnectedness, all of that, like that to me says, yeah, it's not that we deserve dignity and respect and care as humans because we're, you know, perfectly healthy or because we're in a young body or because we can do Dhanurasana or whatever, you know, it's because we should honor one another's Atman, you know, that inner Mm. radiance or whatever, whatever you like to, however you like to think of it, that spark of divinity. And I think it's a very dangerous sort of slippery slope to say, I mean, I hear this argument come up a lot when I talk about body acceptance, right? It's like, you can, okay, love yourself, you know, but like, don't let yourself go. Like, as long as you're still working on your health and it's like, nobody, you don't owe health to anyone. Like, you you know, ideally we should be able to prioritize our health and have the access to get the care that we need and all of that. But like the reality is not everybody even has the same access to healthcare, or if they do have access to healthcare, they may be facing bias because of the way their body looks or an illness or a disability they may have. And so I don't know, it's, it's, I I don't really want to hear these arguments about, you know, 
uh, well, what about the health when we're not like even looking at so many of the, the social determinants of health and kind of how um, power structures and inequities um, within, you know, power and wealth and safety and all that stuff has an absolute outcome on health. So yeah. I don't know. We can have a whole episode yeah. about that too. But, but I think, but, but I would just say it's 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 not based in yoga teachings either. Like I would, you know, the yoga teachings. If you look back, um, I was just thinking about. In the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, there's a section that I think is really shocking to people about um, having disgust for the body. Do you know that? It's like, I'm just looking yes. it up. Yes, right I know what you're it's talking about. Book 2, Sutra 40. Yeah, it's the Sutra on Saucha, which is purification or cleanliness. And it says, by purification arises disgust for one's own body and for contact with other bodies. I mean, it's like, what does that mean? You know, like, I, I think... Um, that's like the other extreme of like, basically, I think that was really representing this idea that we shouldn't identify with the body, we should be identifying with spirit. And so like disgust is a way to kind of realize, wait, we're not the body, you know, mm -hmm. but it feels like we've gone completely other side and like glorified certain bodies. Um, you know, but I feel like yoga practice is about that right relationship, maybe that neutral relationship where you accept your body, you're grateful for it, um, that you take care of it and, you know, would it give it whatever it needs and then focus on something else. You know what I mean? Like that your your life isn't just about the body. Well, for some people, maybe it is about their body, but that you have this potential for spiritual awakening and spiritual awakening is simply connecting with a part of yourself that's um, always there, you know, the part that's essentially you yeah, uh, and not changing. Yeah, well said. So, cherry yoga. 25 <laughs> minutes in, should we... <laughs> Should we talk about chair yoga? Yeah, um, I mean, I think well, we have been. Yeah, and I like what you said about how it democratizes the practice. I think that's a really... Uh, I like the I like that word for it. That, you know, for me, the chair definitely... Um, opens up possibilities uh, for folks to like participate in these postures and practices in a way that works with the body that they're in, the experience level that they have, you know, whatever their range of motion or, um, you know, their particular like uh, limitations or injuries or whatever may be going on uh, that we can still, like you said, get just as much out of uh, the chair practices as we can if we're you know, on the mat or whatever. Right. Because the, the practice isn't really about the body in the end and we're using the body and the body is really, really important. So that's the thing we can talk about maybe is like, um, how to access the experience of asana in, in a chair, you know, and that, that there is a huge, I don't know, benefit or a lot of, there's a lot of growth and learning that can happen in asana. I mean, I, I think asana is incredible and such an important part of our practice, but it's just one piece. Mm -hmm. um, and it's funny, like I hear so many people talk about that, like, oh, well, we need to teach about the other eight limbs or the other seven limbs, not just asana. But then I don't really hear that happening. You know what I mean? It's like I feel like that's kind of um, it just it's just being said, but it's not actually happening. We're not really paying attention to the other limbs. But what I love about chair yoga, not only can you 
make the practice fun and the, the asana practice fun, but also you can do a lot of the other practices easily in a chair that like pranayama and meditation, you know, guided relaxation, things like that are really accessible in a chair. In fact, I always like to mention that, um, one of the things that's so beautiful about yoga is that those subtle practices are accessible really regardless of your physical ability that you can do you can do breathing you can do relaxation and meditation which are really like the next limbs mm-hmm. of, of ashtanga yoga regardless of how your body moves and, and where you where you're practicing so you can do those just as well in a chair as on the mat yeah let's talk about some of the other uh, ways that you teach folks to use the chair. Like I know you, um, like, I think there's this conception or a misconception that chair yoga is like gentle yoga. Like we're just going to sit there and like breathe and rotate our wrists a little bit. And I think chair yoga, it's wonderful to bring extra gentle yoga for folks that might need it. And there are so many ways that you can use it. So what are, what are some of the ways that you teach folks to use the chair? Yeah. I mean, I, that's a good point because sometimes I think, like in the Iyengar tradition, chairs are often used as a prop for, to to um, you know support the body in some very extreme asana as well. And I don't usually do that. I mean, I still yeah. when I do chair yoga, I'm almost always teaching for people. People are sitting in the chair uh-huh. or standing using it as a prop because it's it's a very accessible prop because chairs are everywhere pretty much in our lives. Um, so, like, if you go teach at a community center or something, they're way more likely to have chairs there than blocks and straps and, you know, right. any yoga stuff. So I like to, you know, think about that, that chairs are there. I like, but generally I'm teaching people who are sitting in a chair. I'll just say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that what you mean? Well, I know you, um, you've talked about, like, you can do strength in the chair or oh, yeah. like increasing range of motion or, you know, you just brought up meditation, relaxation, stuff yeah. like that. So, well, maybe yeah, some- thank you. So I think that's true that I just I just finished a course um, of chair yoga 101 for yoga journal, which was really fun. And, you know, it was fun to spend five weeks just exploring chair yoga for me rather than. With accessible yoga, I like to kind of look at all different ways of adapting practice, but just focusing on the chair was really um, enjoyable. And, I, and, I, and that's what we did. We looked at how you could focus your practice on different um, benefits of yoga. Like you could focus on strengthening. You could focus on increasing range of motion. You could focus on relaxation or meditation. So like all of that's available in chair yoga. And I, and I think actually in chair yoga, um, the, the physical is important too and the way we practice and move the body is important I, i'm not you know I, I don't i hope people don't go away from this thinking that i'm not emphasizing that i mean the body is great and asanas are fun and incredibly beneficial <clears throat> and i feel like the asanas are a great way in to yoga for people yeah. too like and i do asana every day actually some form or another uh, it's a huge part of my practice but i i just would say that asana is a tool and I think you can use that tool to achieve different results so rather than just create a practice based on what someone told you or told me I can find a practice that works for me based on what I need in my body like maybe I'm um there's part of my body that's a little bit weaker than the other part and I want to strengthen it like I want to strengthen my arms or my leg or my lower back or whatever 
I could focus on that in chair yoga, or I could focus on increasing range of motion. Say if I'm getting older and I want to, you know, some older people have trouble with um, daily activities, even some younger people actually, but daily activities like tying your shoes or um, driving, you know, and the kind of range of motion you need to be able to do those tasks in a way that is comfortable for the body. So I think asana can really help with that too. Also in, in the asana, we can explore that, the relationship between the body and mind, uh, and really maybe most importantly, work on kind of regulating the nervous system. Because um, I think a lot, of, a lot of the practice of asana is really about, I think you said, in, inhabiting the body and getting comfortable there. And I think of that as regulating the nervous system, really balancing the parts of our nervous system that tend to be kind of out of whack, like either we feel stressed and anxious or we feel maybe depressed and kind of lethargic. So it feels like there's, you know, movement can really help in that way, like balancing that. Yeah. And one of the ways that I really like to use the chair is, um, as like a replacement for blocks. Sometimes I think it's like a little bit less fussy than blocks can be. Um, and like you mentioned is so much, uh, so much more like ubiquitous, like chairs are just everywhere. And one of my favorite things to teach, um, you know, you were talking about using it for like folks, uh, learning functional activities, like, you know, practicing tying their shoes or getting in and out of the car, that kind of stuff. Um, I really like to use it to teach things in a lower stakes way um, that then like will have a skill transfer to other things in the Mm. asana practice. So, for instance, sun salutations are difficult for lots of people for lots of different reasons. Um, But the up and down, up and down off the floor um, is really troublesome for a lot of folks. Um, And it's not that they can't move through the postures. It's those transitions that really trip people up. And I feel like when you're building strength or you're building range of motion, you know, maybe some of us that have done so many sun salutations, we forget like how difficult those movements were and how, you know, coordinated you have to be to practice that sequence in like the, you know, the flowing way with the breath and all of that. And so I love the chair because, um, you know, I'll have people put like all four feet of the chair on the mat so it doesn't go anywhere. That's very important. We can talk about more safety stuff here in a second. But I also um, and then, you know, put the chair at the front of your mat so the seat is facing you. And now the seat is your new floor. Right. So this changes the relationship to gravity in these postures. Um, most people have more strength in their legs than their upper body just because, you know, we tend to develop more strength there unless we on purpose, bear weight in our arms. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. the, those poses like down dog and plank and all of that stuff, especially stepping forward and back, um, I think if you're building strength or you're building flexibility in your wrist, any of the reasons that people have trouble with sun salutations, a lot of that gets mitigated when you, you raise up the hands onto the seat of a chair. And so I really love teaching people like stepping forward and back. And, you know, I I like getting people into say like down dog on the chair. So Mm. their feet are on the floor, their hands are on the seat of the chair. And I actually have folks grab the sides of the seat because then that takes the angle of the wrist, like all the way 
straight. Um, and so if you have any pain when you flex your wrist, it can really help with that too. So imagine, you know, holding the sides of the chair, your feet are on the ground, you shift your hips back in a downward facing dog, you're still getting the, the whole, you know, benefit of the pose. It's just a little bit more easeful in the upper body. And I really love teaching poses this way because rather than, you know, being in down dog, like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm holding myself up, you know, then, <laughs> then you can actually find the shape of the pose, let it settle into your nervous system, you know, breathe, like feel the muscular engagement that the teacher is cueing you to feel or whatever is going on. And then I love um, teaching the like stepping forward and back with the seat of the chair because it's funny, like I'll run folks through a few sun salutations with you know, stepping forward and all of that. And then I'll say like, step, hop, jump, or float to the front of your mat. You know, that cue that teachers love to give, but that I always roll my eyes at because I've never floated anywhere in my life. But you can actually do it with the seat of the chair. It's so much more accessible for many folks that they're like, oh, I get it. Like, that's what that's supposed to feel like. And then you can take those skills that like once you start building that into your nervous system, into your muscle memory, then you can maybe take it to a set of blocks and then maybe take it down to the floor so that you can like progress through those skills as you build strength and as you get your nervous system used to moving in that way. And I just think it's really brilliant for stuff like that. Um, for folks also, uh, I love using it to teach folks the skills to get up and down off the floor. You know, I, I think especially mm -hmm. for older students or folks that have, you know, maybe uh, are coming back to activity after being sedentary for a while. Maybe they're recovering from an injury or something else. Um, you know, getting up and down off the floor is like a real uh, fear for some folks. Like, I don't want to get down on the floor and not be able to get back up. And I totally get that. And I think that it's a it's really important to be able to do the things in our lives that we, you know, wish to do. I think yoga asana can be, um, a great tool there to keep us, you know, yeah. moving. And so yeah. the seat of the chair is really great because you can practice those skills of like, what is it? What's the strategy actually to get up off the floor with your own steam and like, um, you know, it's, a, I think, a really good prop for that because it's sturdy. It's something that folks can grab onto in their own home. They're going to have something like a chair or a couch or whatever to be able to use it. Yeah. And so anyway, that's, that's yeah, a no, I'll, I'm going to add to that. Actually, I would say one of the practices I've been adding in my classes is um, to work on stand standing from sitting. So um, that's a movement that is really important as we get older to be able to get up and down from a chair. And, um, you know, that, that takes a lot of strength in the legs. And actually, there's some research that shows that the strength of your quadriceps in particular correlates to your life expectancy. Um, so there's, there's some relationship there. And I'm, I'm not going to say exactly what it is, you know, because yeah. I'm not a researcher, but it's interesting. And yeah. the one thing you can do is you can do, you can kind of just, for someone who, who isn't able to stand, actually, um, you can still engage the legs, lean forward in the chair, holding the sides of the chair and just put that the weight of the body into the legs and hold mm -hmm. for a few seconds without actually even lifting the your sit bones up off the chair seat very much. But strengthening legs that way, kind of like a chair pose in a chair. You know, yeah, you can think of it makes that sense. Way. Um, for people who have more flexibility or strength in the legs, you could do the same. You could actually get up and down from the chair or do it w with one leg at a time. That's a really great practice to get up and down from a chair with only weight on one foot. Mm -hmm. um, take some balance 
and I would only come up a couple inches maybe, but it can be a really fun way to work on strengthening the legs. Um, I love that. I mean, I love the idea of getting stronger and making, you know, making everyday activities more accessible and using, using chair yoga in a functional way. Um, also working on balance is important, even if you're doing chair yoga, because a lot of issues with, uh, as you get older, have to do with balance and fall risk. You know, once, if you're a senior and you fall and break a bone or a hip, it can really, um, become detrimental to your health. And so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of research around how we can, um, reduce fall risks in seniors and that can be a focus on just training people to be more balanced strengthening too is important but balance is so i like to work on fun things in the chair and people follow me maybe they've seen like blocks on my head <laughs> things like that <laughs> right like chair. how you but can bring like, back in the element of balance in the chair yeah exactly like you can bring in the element of balance and you know even if you're sitting in the chair you can still work on that. You can work on balancing the torso, um, shifting the weight of the body, um, sitting on something that's uneven maybe and work on balance with the hips a little. But there's there's many fun ways to do that. The other thing I want to mention about chair yoga is just that you know, you're, you're starting from this um, flexed hip position. And I think that just needs a lot of attention. Like I think the starting position in most um, mat yoga classes is either Tadasana, you know, where you're standing in basically neutral spine, or Shavasana, which is also kind of a neutral spine. But in chair, the chair Tadasana, which I would call is like a seated upright position, is a flexed hip position and flexed knees. So you just need to be aware of that, that you're not, you're not moving from neutral. And right. I think I would de-emphasize... Um, more flexion so like i don't like to add a lot more forward bending in chair yoga especially um more spinal flexion like rounding the back very much like i don't feel like that's very useful for people that are practicing sitting sitting in a chair Um, and if possible try to add hip extension which means that what that means is that the knee is going back of the hip do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, you sense? take your leg behind your body, like when you push off with a roller skate, like that. Yeah, kind of. exactly. Yeah. And like that movement is a little hard to do in, when you're seated. So sometimes you either have to scoot to the side of a chair to extend the leg back or turn sideways in a chair and kind of sit halfway on it and bring a leg back. So you can do like a lunge, like a lunge movement. Um, I think that kind of a hip extension movement is really great to add into a chair yoga practice if it's if it's accessible for someone to do that with their legs also i think just to be conscious of your lower back so even if you're not if you're not going to do that um still just notice the lumbar curve because when you're in a flexed hip position sitting in a chair probably actually it's not probably there's research that shows that you have less of a lumbar curve generally right yeah so you have to protect it a little more in chair yoga, I would say, than you would in a mat practice and just bring that awareness into the curves of the spine as you're moving all the time. Um, yeah. So to, to do that, do you just do that through verbal cues and awareness or is there specific ways that you teach the asana differently? Yeah, I would say all those things. I, I would I think awareness just trying to bring people's awareness to their lower back and how it feels as you're practicing. And I guess, like I said, maybe avoid a lot of forward bending and see if I can find um, backward bending, like spinal extension in the chair, which can be hard. You know, it can be hard to do that as well. 
some good poses for that. It could be like cobra pose in the chair or even a fish pose. I like to do a fish pose in a chair where I kind of, I put a prop behind the middle back and lean back over it. Mm -hmm. That's a nice way to get that um, spinal extension. Um, Also just, just to be aware of that, like when you're adapting any other pose that it's like, you know, you could do like a chair version of a, Trikonasana or a chair version of like a warrior, but all of those poses, you basically are doing with flexed hips. <laughs> do you know yeah. what I mean? So I think be aware of that. What does it do to your spine? How does it feel in the low back and the pelvis or the SI joint? And that's the other area. I think that people in chairs need to be careful. The sacroiliac joint where your spine connects to your pelvis is very sensitive. And I think we need to be aware of that that the pelvis is basically the grounding point in chair yoga. Do you know what I mean? Not so much the feet. Yeah, the pelvis um, is the fixed point is the fixed that we're point moving usually. from. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so either to just bring a consciousness to that in the asana and make sure you're adapting with that in mind or allow the pelvis to move or instruct people to move their pelvis, um, which might happen naturally in a standing version of the pose. Like in a trikonasana, there's going to be some pelvic movement that probably won't happen in the chair just because it's the fixed point. So I feel like some of those things are useful. Um, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Is there anything that you want to talk about as far as like how to think about adapting a posture? Let's say folks are listening. They want to try out some stuff in a chair that they've done on the mat you know, maybe standing poses or things like that. How do you think about adapting poses to the chair? Yeah, I think um, the way I always teach adapting practice is to focus on the the purpose, um, the benefits, and the contraindications to do a little exploration or study of the pose and think about like, why, what does this pose do? Like, what is the benefit? And maybe what's the danger even? Like how can people um, potentially get injured or what might be contraindicated? For example, like, um, you know, glaucoma, like inversions are contraindicated for glaucoma. So even in chair yoga, you wouldn't really do a lot of inverting where you, you bend all the way forward and hang the head down unless, you know, if, you, if your students might have um, glaucoma or even un- unregulated high blood pressure, you'd be cautious of that too. But I would say, so, so I would start from that, really either researching it or just exploring it in your practice. Like, what is the benefit of this pose? So if I'm doing a standing pose, like, um, what should what should we talk about? What pose? How about eagle? We did eagle once before we talked we? about that. Okay. Standing yeah. pose. Um, let's see. Warriors, lunge, uh, tree. Yeah, so, Any of those? Yeah, maybe... Um, Maybe we could talk about Warrior, uh, Warrior Two, um, which is interesting because, in a way, it's and there's a little bit of that hip extension that we just talked about. There's so many benefits in Warrior Two. So Virabhadrasana Two, you have the strengthening in that front leg, you know, and that's maybe the thing people think about the most. Also, you have this. Um, there's an element of balancing there, even though you're on two legs. Your, your legs are very wide apart, so you have to have a kind of a firm, wide stance and really connect to grounding, you know, energy moving down, energy moving up. Uh, also, arm strengthening, having the arms out at the sides for a period of time, right? Holding the arms out is yep. strengthening like that. Yep. Um, there's a little bit of... Um, 
rotation in the torso, or I mean, the spine is twisting a little bit. Um, there's focus. What else? What else are the benefits you would say of Warrior Two? I think like you could bring in maybe the energetic perspective too of like mm. Warrior Two is a big warrior. powerful pose. You're taking up space. You have a, a fierce warrior mm. gaze. You know, you like you can bring I think yeah. that kind of intention to the chair pose yeah. too. Um, yeah, and yeah, so maybe that. In fact, that could be a great place to start. So I mean, you can choose any one of those benefits and start there. So you could start with that powerful feeling of being a warrior and think, how do I bring that into the chair? Maybe my lower body is barely changed at all. I'm still in neutral, like a neutral leg position where my feet are, well, I would say not even just under the knees, but slightly forward of the knees. I like to have in chair yoga for stability. The legs a little wider than hip width apart is more stable. And then I could keep the torso right where it is and extend the arms out um, at shoulder height, look over one and do a warrior like that without even turning at all. And you know what I'm saying? So it could be that I bring in the energy of feel that warrior, like the power of the warrior in your arms and in your face and your mm-hmm. stare. Like mm-hmm. you could bring that in right there. Um, you know what I mean? Or you could look at something else. What's another, you know, if another benefit is like, that back leg getting that hip extension, then maybe I'll turn and extend one leg back, like I mentioned earlier, and really focus on that piece of a chair warrior. Yeah. You don't have to do it all at once. Exactly. You know I mean? Yeah, I love like kind of picking a focus um, because, you know, like we just said, Warrior 2 can be so many things that, um, you know, and if you're constructing a class or a practice, maybe for yourself, if you're not teaching, you could have, you know, four, five, six times during the practice that you do a warrior pose and each one could have a different intention or focus yes. or essence. Exactly. And I think that's exactly. kind of the fun part. You know, it's like yoga can get uh, it well asana and sequencing and all that stuff you can get a little rote sometimes we kind of like get stuck in our uh the stuff we're comfortable with and i think this is like the creative part that makes me excited and like whenever i you know go to a teacher training or talk to other teachers like you like kind of makes me fall in love with yoga a little bit again like oh yeah there's so much here you know that we don't have to just like okay warrior two step your feet apart turn lift your arms look over there like it doesn't just have to be the shape of the body but that we we can really participate with our whole selves and I think that's the uh kind of like cool creative part about adapting practice is that we get to make it our own a little bit yeah exactly and and like that less isn't less less is more yeah (laughs) less is more and so like doing it that way breaking it down like you just described is not only fun but also effective that you could actually focus on one element or quality of a practice and really refine that rather than do a pose like like a warrior two is actually very complex there's so many things going on in that practice and that's that's like what we do in the um, accessible yoga training as well which is break break poses down and then kind of rebuild them from the bottom up focusing on one benefit or another and i just find that to be really a fun way to explore asana or, or all of our yoga practices really um by like why why am i doing them Exactly. Yeah. And I think, too, you know, going back to what we talked about a little bit at the beginning, like, I think this um, emphasis that's 
tended to show up in the yoga world around like um, extreme asana or physical prowess. Like we tend to, I think, maybe bypass some of the benefits that asana can even bring us when we, you know, are doing something that is so effortful that we can't be like present in the body in the way that, you know, we know is possible in asana or we're moving so quickly that we're not even like participating in the poses. Do you know what I mean? Whereas if you take it, if you slow your roll and if you, you know, to really take time to be with and be in these postures and these practices and these shapes, there's some stuff to do there. There's some stuff to discover there and to, and to, you know, there's a, there's a whole different sort of requirement that you're asking of yourself and your body and your mind and all of that to hold, let's say warrior two for 10 breaths than you are for half a breath as you pass through it on a vinyasa sequence. And, you know, I don't want to demonize vinyasa, like vinyasa classes are fun. I love vinyasa, but also like, because I think vinyasa and the like influence of like gymnastics and contortionism and all those other things have kind of showed up in our visual understanding and language of the practice. We miss out on some of that subtle stuff. That's like the really powerful stuff, like you said. So, yeah. And I think actually restorative yoga is a great example of that, like the power of slowing it down. Um, But it doesn't have to be just in restorative yoga. You can, like you said, you can bring that same, quiet stillness that aware that that extra sensitivity and awareness into any asana and i'm in a way that's the goal i mean that is that is what we're trying to do um we're trying to get energy moving right there is that i get it so like vinyasa practitioners probably focus on that like there is that benefit of energy moving in the body but that's just one piece the other piece is increasing sensitivity uh, becoming like, acutely aware of what's happening inside the body and also where my mind is while I'm practicing yeah. and whether my mind is focused on the sensations I'm having or on some other focus in the practice, or if I'm want in my mind, my mind is wandering. Um, that's, that's really, I would say kind of the ultimate definition of an asana is that your mind is present there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So. Wow. Uh, I don't know. Chair yoga is like, it's a rich thing. I know we've only kind of scratched the surface, but um, I, I yeah. just, I think I love it because of how it, like you said, democratizes the practice. And I think just is such a, a cool tool for exploration that is pretty much available um, almost anywhere. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, it was really fun. Maybe we can put a link for my course in the show notes because people can still take it, even though we, it's rec- it's recorded now, but you can mm-hmm. still just watch the recordings, the Chair Yoga 101. It was really uh, fun to just dive into the chair and, and to like think about it myself more. Like how, how can the chair be the platform for this, for freedom, you know what I mean. Like this is a practice of freedom and and empowerment, and I love that. Like I, I want to like make the chair like the throne, you know, that we. Oh my god, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seriously though. Yeah. It's like our yoga throne. It's not like less than. It's not like oh, just people who can't do yoga on a mat have to sit in a chair. You know, it's not. That's not what it is. Yeah, prop is not a punishment for not being able to do the quote-unquote real yoga. Like, 
props are power tools. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> yeah, I, I think. Is, like, it's that exactly. It's um, a power tool. That's beautiful. Yeah. A power tool, like a throne. You know, like I'm saying. Yeah, it's, I it's love really it. Powerful place to to work on ourselves and connect with ourselves. Yeah. Anyway. So. Um, I know the accessible yoga training, uh, you're going to be running that again, uh, in January, uh, 2021, mm-hmm. which will be here before we know it. Um, yeah. can you tell us, um, how, uh, what can people expect, uh, as far as like, is this a chair yoga course or how do chairs come into practice? And like, what about what we talked about today will, will be in the training. Can you just talk about the training a little bit? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is chair yoga, to be honest. I, I, I like to talk more broadly in that training, you know, around like ex- accessible yoga is this or that. But really, um, I would say almost all the asana practices chair, maybe or maybe like 75 percent. And then we do we do bed yoga. We do a lot of adapting mat work and standing. But I guess, yeah, chair is really maybe my favorite prop. So we do a lot there. And I think the things we talked about today are really the core of that training, really looking at the why and not only like the the purpose of yoga in general, but the purpose of asana and then how to adapt it, how to make it work for anybody and how to do so in a way um, like we've talked about. That's collaborative and creative and fun. Um, sharing power with our students. I think that's really the key Mm -hmm. as teachers learning to cultivate agency within our students through the practice of yoga, which is a, which is, I think maybe the theme in the training and also, um, also to look at the reasons why people aren't, um, participating like what is what is currently inaccessible inaccessible about yoga and how can we address those things like are you know how do the other marginalizations that we experience in um western culture affect yoga spaces like racism cultural appropriation uh, lack of consent things like that we also address that but i would say most of the most of the time we're talking about adapting asana and also uh, creating integrated spaces where people can practice together at multiple levels, which I which I'm really passionate about this idea of like mixing it up in, and bringing in people, um, some people in a chair, some people on the mat in the same space. And to me, like, I just love that idea of moving beyond segregation and in, in yoga. Yeah. Uh, like that's a really important, that's like a vision that I hold <laughs> for yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and honestly, I, I think that we don't even see it. We don't even see the ways that we've created a segregated yoga culture where some people are allowed in some spaces and some people are allowed in others. And it feels like contradictory or I don't know what the word is like. It's not. It's not in alignment with with yoga itself, with the underlying teachings and philosophy of yoga. To do that, yoga is about coming together um, in the in the universal truth of who we are, um, while embracing our separate experiences. So I guess that's kind of the theme of the training, if that makes sense. Is like, you know, identifying the differences and honoring them, even um, celebrating the differences, but also um, connecting with our shared 
I don't know what universal spirit or the, the shared the essence of our humanity yeah. that is really what yoga is leading us towards yeah that left unique lived experience of what it means to be human I love that yeah yeah all right Jeevana um you know we like to leave people with a question at the end of this and I wonder what question you would leave us with mm, my goodness we've talked about a lot today I know. <laughs> <laughs> Like all over the place, but I feel like I'm I'm really happy that we had this conversation. I hope I I hope people like respond or like I don't know. Right? Can they write reviews and mention something or or reach out to us? Because I'm curious what people think about this. Yeah, share it, share it, tag us. You know, come to the comments on our social media. Um, Let us know what you think. Uh, We we'd love to hear feedback from y'all. Leave us reviews uh, wherever you get podcasts. That really helps us too uh, to be able to know how y'all are feeling about this and um, give us feedback for how we can make it continue to make it better and let us know what you'd like us to talk about too you know we like to talk about everything so we could take requests what do you think (laughs) yeah requests we could do that we could collect some questions maybe for a future episode and just kind of answer questions from people because i think that might be that might be fun but i want to go back to to leaving people with a question today what, what stuck with me a little bit is our um our relationship to our bodies and and what that, what is that? Like, what is the um, right relationship with your body? Mm. You know, like, I, I'm just interested in that and exploring that question uh, in the context of yoga and spiritual practice. And maybe like, how, how do we, what is the appropriate way to engage in, in a physical, spiritual, embodied spiritual practice? So I just, I, I don't know if there's, is that clear? That enough? is clear. Question? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. What does it mean to have a right relationship with our body? Like what is the, you know, maybe what's the balance between we've, we've talked about how the balance is like off balance, like, Oh, the focus is always on extreme asana or the focus is on the body's appearance. So where, yeah. What is the right amount of focus on each of the things that's in this practice? Yeah. I like that. Yeah, exactly. And, and how do we use the body in a healthy way? Or not a use, but um, engage and appreciate the body in a healthy way rather than rather than using yoga as like, a, I don't know, like punishment or as unreachable goals or whatever. Something you know, we, we do are, to like, the body. It. Yeah. 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 What is the what is a healthier way? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about that a lot myself. I like it. All right. As I, as I get old, a little older. Oh my gosh. You know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to leave it there today. Thanks, Jeevana. Thanks, Amber. Talk to you. All right. Later. See y'all next time. Thank you for joining us for another week of the Accessible Yoga Podcast. I wanted to let you know that the new cohort of Jeevana Heyman's Accessible Yoga Training Online is now forming. The next section of this flagship training will run January 22nd through February 5th. And the Accessible Yoga Training is a 30-hour continuing education program that will teach you a new way of thinking about yoga postures and practices that honors the essence of yoga, but allows you to design multi-level classes where students of different abilities, ages, shapes, sizes, and experience levels can all practice together with ease. 
You'll get support from experts around topics like trauma-informed teaching, working with larger bodies, yoga for seniors, yoga marketing, and much more with our team of accessible yoga trainers. And since we're learning at home now, there's no travel expenses, everything's recorded with captions, and you can review materials and work at your own pace. So if this work is calling to you, we hope you'll go to accessibleyogatraining.com and sign up for the waitlist. Over the next few weeks, we'll be sending out information about the course and teachings from Jivana that will help you make your classes and learning spaces more accessible, whether you're teaching online, in person, or don't know what the heck is happening next. <laughs> so spend the beginning of 2021 developing your skills as a teacher who can make their classes accessible for all and have every student leaving your class feeling affirmed and successful. Join the waitlist now at AccessibleYogaTraining.com. We hope you'll leave us a review wherever you subscribe to your podcasts and also subscribe to this podcast. We love hearing your feedback. It really helps us to make it a little better each week. And we hope you'll give us some input on future guests or topics that you'd like us to cover. Just send us an email through our website, AccessibleYogaTraining.com. We'll see you soon. Thanks.